All right. Good morning, everybody. You feeling good? Awesome. Awesome. What a good day to be in church. I love church. Um, it's been so inspiring being back here again. Um, I think it's the fourth year uh, that we're back as a family, just being inspired. Um, such a blessing being around your leadership and Pastor Karen, Pastor Chris, and everybody, and uh, Chance, and everybody we get to be around. And uh, do you see what God is doing? You might not know it. Hopefully you do. But you're in a great church. You're at a great place. And uh, yeah, come on, let's clap it up. And uh, you know, son, and I, where I come from, and I saw that B3, man, I felt like we could have church here tonight. But uh, um, see, I just want to tell you, before you sit down, that... Uh, being a part of a church like Woodlands Church, it is such a blessing. I live in a country where about 1% of the population go to church. You know, a big church in Sweden, there's about 200 people. That's a mega church. Now, we've been able to be blessed and build churches in uh, six different cities, and I've seen the power of the church. I had the opportunity to go to Ukraine just a few weeks into the war. We have a church there, and I didn't really tell my wife everything, but we drove in there and snuck in, and we, got, we were strapped up, and we wanted to go there. And just see our people and to see what the church can do in any kind of situation. And just to hearing about the thousands of child, uh, kids that you guys are impacting this past week. Uh, and what you guys do. And you guys have partnered with us in helping people who lost everything in Ukraine. People who lost everything uh, to the war. Whatever it is, whatever you think of it, it's always the people that suffer. But all around the world. It is churches like the Woodlands and make a huge difference in places you've never been. You guys have been a blessing in. And uh, so we love partnering with you. We honor you. And I thank God for the opportunity to be here today. Come on, let's give God a big hand. And let's have a seat. Please be seated. Thanks, Ben. Man, the band is so good. The worship, the team, everything here. Uh, I just love being here. Um, as I said last week, my wife's always a little bit scared that I'm going to like it too much. And I'm going to tell her we're staying. I'll be applying for like a maintenance job for Pastor Carrie, just be around here. I'm happy, you know, like we've been rolling all week, you know, been doing stuff and working. And, but uh, if you got any questions about any mall to go to, any kind of shopping, I know it all. I've been there this week, uh, traveling with my wife and two girls. We've been to the mall, to Ulta. We've been to TJ Maxx, Marshall. You know, I try to get them to go to $1 store. They didn't want to go there, but... Uh, you know, I dropped them off the mall, then I took myself down to Bass Pro, had a good day. You know, like that's a win-win for everybody. But uh, it is great to be here. We, we're about to fly home tomorrow, but today we're going to have a good time in church. All right? You ready for the word? How about everybody else? You ready for the word? Awesome, awesome. We got to help a boy out. I'm Swedish. I'm thinking in Swedish. I'm speaking English. There's a lot of stuff going on up in here, so you got to help me preach this morning. Um, I was, I've been to Israel a lot of times. I got a lot of friends there. I got one friend. His name is Moshe. That's uh, um, Hebrew for Moses. And uh, it's just a guy. I've been in the army a long time. And, uh, but now he runs this travel uh, uh, company. He takes a lot of guests there. Um, he's special, he, he's uh, well-educated in the Israeli history uh, and, uh, and also in the New Testament. And he's a, he's a great uh, believer and a really good friend. And I've been there so many times. It's amazing how the Bible opens up when you're actually standing on the ground where, the, uh, where, where things took place. And uh, last fall, I took my oldest daughter to Israel for the first time. She'd never been. She grew up reading all the stories, hearing all the stories. 
But when you get to go to Israel and you watch it through the eyes of your child, as we read the Bible, standing on the very places where Jesus taught and where the miracles happened and where everything played out, it just comes alive. And I was, I've been blessed many times doing it myself, but being there and seeing it through the, uh, my daughter's eyes, how it comes alive, it is just amazing. You know, I was down there. We got a church there in Tel Aviv, and we're about to open in uh, Jerusalem. And so I, I was there training the team and, and speaking, and I took my daughter, and we, we put an extra 48 hours in there. And I said, babe, we can do the whole country in 48 hours. That's what we do, all right? Some people go two weeks. We can do it in two days. Come on. And uh, we rented this little car. They don't got any trucks up there, I'll tell you that. We got this little car. It's called a Piccolo or a Kia Piccolo or something. I'm not sure if it was a car. It was a go-kart or something. But uh, it had a one-liter one engine and a stick, you know, like it's like that old, I don't know if you've seen that old movie, uh, uh, Police Academy. It's a guy named Hightower. He had to rip out the front seat and sit in the back seat and drive because the car was so small. That's what it was. And we're trying to go uphill, you know, like I'm downshifting, I'm pushing it, you know, everything's revving on red and we can barely make it uphill, but we're, we're going around the country, driving like crazy, seeing everything. And uh, we went up to, uh, to the Sea of Galilee and we went out on one of the, they, they found the exact uh, uh, model of the boat that Peter was fishing from. You think it was a big ship. It's a little uh, boat, very hollow, very flat so they can go in shallow, uh, shallow waters. And it's a small boat. And um, we went to see uh, where Peter lived. You know, you might think Peter lived in a big place. Like he lived in the house, Peter's house. It's like from the pulpit to about here and, and to about here. That's it. That's where he lived with his wife, with his kids, with all their cattle, goats, and stuff, and with his mother-in-law. I mean, imagine living that tight and having your goats there. Now, I always thought, like, how could Peter be such an obedient man? How could he give up his fishing business? When Jesus just walked up to him and said, hey, Peter, I want you to drop your nets and follow me. I thought, why would he do that? And I always wondered that. Until I realized he lived with his mother-in-law. I'd be like, Jesus, I'm going anywhere. Where are we going? I don't care. I'm never going to fish again. Let's go. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Hey, you got to love your mother-in-law. Some people even think, I think it's wrong, but some people would say that the reason Jesus, uh, Peter denied Jesus was because he healed his mother-in-law. I don't know if that's true or not. I, I don't claim that. I don't say that. But, uh, you know, when you go to Israel, it's so fascinating. And... Uh, we, we, we got to see uh, Israel through, uh, I got to see it through that. That's my daughter. And one day we were standing up looking over old, the old city, old Jerusalem. And sorry, I'm setting this message up, but uh, uh, we, we watched and, and you're reading, you think it's massive, but you know, it's not. It's like, like a couple of football fields, you know, and everybody lived there. And about that time, it would be between 80, and 80 to 1,000 people living there. But during the feast, there could be several hundreds of thousands of people. And it's just not a big area. And it was kind of divided up in four quarters. And you have different people groups staying in different quarters. And as you stand there, we stood on the top right where Jesus got convicted, where uh, I don't even know how you say his name in English, Pontius Pilatus, 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 whatever, uh, uh, where he convicted Jesus. 
And you can stand there, you can see where Jesus got arrested, where they took him in the tunnels up to Caiaphas' house to keep him, to bring him up, to stand before the judge. And uh, uh, of course, Pontius Pilatus, he was the first uh, political uh, assigned person there before. It was always inherited uh, in generation by the same family. So the Romans put him in there. And as we stood up there watching, I'm thinking to myself, everything in the Bible that plays out, he feels so big, but it was, it was so small. And I started talking to Masha, uh, my friend, who's an expert on history. And he started telling me about the different quarters, how it was divided up in four different people groups. And he just got my mind to Luke chapter 22. And I just want to bring you to Luke chapter 22, verse 7. And I want to talk to you about a specific man, a specific uh, a person who was just instrumental in this. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 7, it says, Then came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. Isn't it funny? Anytime Jesus asked them to do anything, they reply with a question. It's like raising kids. Hey, would you go clean your room? Do I have to do it now? No, I just said it now so you can do it in three years. What do you think? You think Jesus picked some smart guys? These guys, man, they're like the, they're like, they're not smart. They're not, you know, they, he didn't pick them because of their brains. Just go, hey, go prepare the Passover meal. And they go, where? How? Now? We? And Jesus, he keeps on going. He says, uh, he replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Well, that's clear instructions. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? They will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Now, this is an awesome story. It's just a couple of verses. And Jesus tells, hey, just walk into this little old city. Remember, it's not a big place. Walk down there. They stood up tall. Hey, down there, you walk down into the city. You'll find a man carrying a jar of water. Follow him, and you get it done. Now, this is not like any dinner. This is the Last Supper. This is the most important meal that anybody ever had. That's why Jesus said, someone in this room will betray me. This is the start of the salvation story. This is the day before he gets arrested. And sorry, yeah, the day he gets arrested and the day before he dies on the cross. Like this is the start of the most important story ever. This is the most important meal ever. My wife grew up in Congo, Africa. Her parents are doctors and missionaries. And they're working with a man called Dennis McQuaggy, Dr. Dennis McQuaggy. And he is a dear friend to them and he won the Nobel Peace Prize just a few years ago, came to Sweden. Man, I tell you, when they set that table, the chefs, they're practicing for months. That's all they do. It's like an elite team making the food, setting the table. If we have guests at our house, Lena has never asked me to set the table. I've never, we've been married 28 year, 21 years, I've never been entrusted with setting the table. Now, I do get the protein, 
I do get to run the grill. I do get to do the barbecue, but I never set the table because she wanted nice and she good at it, you know? And here, they got to set the table for the most important meal ever. The Nobel Peace Prize, they set the table so nice. It is such an important dinner, but not even the dinner for the Nobel Peace Prize is more important than this dinner. And all Jesus tells me is, go down there, you'll find a man carrying a jar of water. Just follow him and he'll work yourself out. Like, hey, we don't want to mess up the Passover. You're like, okay, let's go find a guy. He carries a jar of water. Everybody carries water. What man? What water? What jar? You know, like him. And But when you look at old Jerusalem, and stay with me, you're going to get this. When you look at old Jerusalem, and I talked to my friend Marsha. Marsha, I said, Marsha, explain to me what happened. How was it back in the day when people lived there? And Marsha started to tell me about the four different groups of people who lived in these four different quarters. He told me about the Pharisees. You've heard about them in the Bible. They're self-righteous. They're religious leaders. Uh, they condemn people with the law and by condemnation. They're controlling people with the law. They're controlling people with the, their self-righteousness. Jesus, he, he tells them, you guys are like, you, you're like a cup. You polish yourself on the outside, but the inside is full of dirt. You have the appearance of being God-fearing, but you could not care less. You don't care about people. You oppress them by putting the law, making yourself look better than you are, and making everybody else feel less about themselves than they should. That's the Pharisees. You know, everybody, anytime Jesus had a fight with somebody, it was with the Pharisees because they always, you know, thought they were better than they were. And then you got the Sadducees. That's the political uh, party, there's the political people, always scheming, always trying to make a deal, always trying to better positions, always trying to work in agenda, agenda in the, you know, in the back rooms. And then you have the, the sellers, that, that they're also called the purity party. But the sellers, they were, the sellers, they were the militia. They were the one who wanted everybody to take our sword and fight the Roman Empire. They're like, man, they're not going to get us. We're going to fight last man standing. And they're trying to get everybody rallied, but they couldn't do it. But then you have this small little people group, and it's the most interesting people group. Now, remember, I've done nine years of school, and I'm here teaching you about history today. You know, you know there's a God. The Essenes, this little people group, they're very interesting. I could just spend days studying them. The Essenes were known as holy people. They lived between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea in the desert. They're believed to be the one who formed the first monastery of guys who became monks and dedicated their lives to studying uh, the Word of God, the, the, you know, the Old Testament, and, and trying to follow uh, in Jesus' way. They believe a lot of the people who started to follow Jesus in the beginning were Essenes. They were holy people. They wanted to live right before God. They baptized themselves every day to just purify themselves. They also had this assignment that anyone who bought anything or had anything, they came to the Azines and asked them to baptize their stuff. You got a new frying pan. You go to the Azines. Hey, I want this to be blessed. Can you baptize it? And they did it. You bought yourself a new truck. You know, you got yourself a Ford one F, uh, F-150 Raptor. You go, hey, can you bless this? You know, can you baptize it? You know, just don't get the engine soaked. Just put some water on it. I want it to run forever. That's what they did. People went to them to baptize things. And when you study this, you understand that John the Baptist most likely wasn't a zine because he lived between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. In the desert, we can read that. And they came into the city and did their stuff, then walked back out. Now, here's an interesting thing. When you talk to scholars, they believe that this man carrying a jar of water most likely was an Azim, an Azir, however you say it in English. 
And we don't know if he carried this jar of water to go bring water uh, to go baptize stuff or if he carried this jar of water because he was baptizing it for someone uh, to be blessed. Uh, And we don't know his name. We don't know where he came from. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know where, what his life's been like. We don't know if he had a tough life or an easy life, if he was banged up or if he was, you know, like a good, you know, doing good. All we know is that one day Jesus is about to trigger the, the most important, uh, uh, you know, uh, weekend ever, start the most important weekend ever. And he does it all by telling Peter and John, go down into the city. There you will find a man carrying a jar of water. Follow him and he will take you to a place where, where he can help you set up this important meal, the Passover meal, the last supper. And when I read this, I, I, I find it so encouraging that a man Jesus used that we don't even know the name of, he was used to set the table for the last meal. And all we know about him is that he carried a jar of water. I wonder sometimes when we think about serving God, when we think about being used by God, you know, we, I grew up singing songs in church, but if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. God, I want to serve you. God, I want to be used by you. But then we look at ourselves and go, well, I, got, I don't have the right stuff. I'm not good enough. I'm not educated enough. My faith's not strong enough. I haven't prayed enough. I'm not living good enough. Uh, and we disqualify ourselves for being used by God because we don't think we have what it takes. We condemn ourselves or we, we look at everybody else and it looks like they're doing so good. And then we look at ourselves and go, God, you could never use me. But I find it so encouraging that a man with no name and no face is being mightily used by Jesus himself to set up such an important thing. Why? Well, number one, he was carrying a jar of water. Number two, he was willing and he was available. And he tells me, I don't need all that stuff. I don't need to be all perfect. I don't need to be all ready. I don't need to have all the knowledge. I don't need to have, I don't need to be, you know, perfect in any area for God to start using me. All I need to do is take myself to a position where I'm willing and where I'm available. I think a lot of times God wants to use us for so much stuff, but we take ourselves out of the game because we've been listening to the Pharisees, condemning us, telling us we need all this stuff. I need this, I need this, I need this. No, all you need is being willing to carry a jar of water. All you need is be willing to, when God says, I need you, I want you, I got an assignment. All we got to say, Lord, I'm here, send me. God, I wouldn't pick me, but if you want to pick me, I'm here, I'm willing, I'm, av- I'm available, I'm obedient. And this man, when you read about him, he seems so insignificant. He's being so mightily used by God. And when I read this, and when I stood on, uh, on top of this place and the old Jerusalem looked out of it, I said, God, if you can use a man like that, you can use me. God, I might not have a big name. I might not come from a good background. I might not be born into this world with all the right stuff, all the right circumstances. But God, if you can use somebody who carried a jar of water, God, you can use me. God, I want to live 
the life that you have for me. And I don't want to keep disqualifying myself. I don't want to, I don't want to look down on myself. I don't want to take myself out of the game because I, I feel like I don't have everything that everybody else have. Or I'm not good enough or I'm not ready enough or I'm not holy enough or I'm not Christ-like enough. What if I could start with carrying a jar of water for you, God? What if I could do something easy for you, God, but at least I get to serve you? You know, I find it interesting with this, with this jar. You know, sometimes in this world, we're looking at all the shiny things, all the good things. Man, I've been, been going around looking at all the good things. And I'm a car guy. I just like cars. You know, I, I, I like cars. You know, I drive around and look at all the cars. I go like, ooh, Lord, this is what heaven's going to look like, you know. It's going to be good, you know. You're not going to hear like a four-cylinder engine ever in heaven, you know, like it's not going to be anything. You're like, ha, ha, ha. There'll be an engine under six liters in heaven. Come on, somebody. There'll be no pollution either because it's all perfect, so you can drive whatever you want up there. It's all shiny. It's all good. See the new cars, in the tundras, in all the cars. Escalate like it's beautiful. I like the shiny stuff. Sometimes we think that our life has to be like that. And sometimes we take on the pressure, keep polishing and polishing and polishing and polishing the surface of our life, the image of our lives, because we think that's how we get approval from God, because that's how we get approval from each other. We look at the surface and we judge each other on the surface, on the outside. But the Bible says man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. That's why our lives, even when we feel like our lives is just a jar, might be broken, might be banged up, might be a few chips missing here and there. There's some wear and tear on my jar. It's been through life. My, my life is a jar. It's been through life. You're looking at it. It's not perfect. You can tell my life from the scars and the marks and the wear and tear and the damage on my jar. It's been through some stuff. But see, Christianity has never been about how nice your jar is. Christianity has always been whether you allow God to fill it with living water and make it new because God is a God who will work from the inside out. But we live in a world who says fix the outside so nobody can tell the inside. That's why the devil trying to say, hey, your jar's not good enough. You got to hide those scars. You got to hide, hide that wear and tear. You got to hide that. Those marks. That reminds you of what you've been through because otherwise Christians will judge you and God can't use you and you could not be more wrong. Actually, my scars is a testimony to a good God who when I couldn't make it on my own, he stepped in and he took my hand and he lifted me up and he put my feet on solid ground and he healed me. And now I got scars to prove that he didn't leave me where I fell. He didn't leave me where, where, where I messed up. He picked me up and he brought me forward. And I got scars to tell a story of a faithful God. Why would I put makeup on that when my scars, when my wear and tear, when the stuff that banged me up in life could be a testimony to the goodness of God, to the grace of God, to the abundant love of a merciful Father. Why would we live lives where we're trying to hide all that instead of allow God to fill us afresh with the only thing that people are thirsty for, the living water? See, there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul, he talks beautifully about it. He says, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. 
On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of God. It's like you say, hey, listen, they just, people look at the outside. It's like their sight is blinded because we're looking at the wrong things and we can't even see the most important things. And then he goes on, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And check this out, verse 7, this is awesome. And he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Paul is saying, we got this treasure. What treasure? Christ, salvation. Redemption, mercy, never-ending love, new beginnings. We got this treasure, salvation from God, grace from, we got this treasure, this beautiful. Philippians says that he did not count him, you know, his position as Christ, as, um, as the ultimate victory. But it says about Jesus that he, he left his throne and came down here to become a servant to all. That's the treasure. That he who created heaven and earth stepped into our world, stepped into our lives. The most holy and precious thing ever. The angels sing, they sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. He came from holiness. He came from the most precious, the most treasures thing ever he came from heaven and he stepped into our world he stepped into our lives and he said I don't want to live by myself isolated heaven away from the creation I want to live inside the creation I want to live in humanity I want to live in your heart I know your life is broken I know your life is like a jar I know your life you know your life has a big bangs you know from being banged around in life a little bit but Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay who puts a treasure in a jar of clay when I proposed to my wife you know we flew to West Palm Beach I used to be a youth pastor in West Palm Beach and one time I, I went to this hotel and uh, I used to play it back then at nightclubs and stuff and one time I went to this hotel and and uh, I had this little Mediterranean courtyard now nah, I didn't date anybody at that time and but I thought to myself, if I ever propose, it'll be here. And we went on a trip, went and stayed with some friends. And I said, Lena, hey, let's, let's take a ride. And we went down to this hotel, went into this Mediterranean courtyard in the hotel. I got down on one knee. I'd called her daddy before. You know, I'm old school. We do it right. And, uh, and, uh, and I asked her if she would marry me. And I got this ring. Like, we were poor. It wasn't a big ring. It was this little thing. You got this little, you had, to, you had to really look to see that stone. But that's all we had, you know. We were happy. And she said yes, and it was awesome. By that ring, I was so nervous I got to lose it because I kept it for days, and we traveled with it. I was so nervous. I, I just kept that ring. It was so precious. I, I, I spent all my money, you know. I saved for it. I did everything I could just to, to, to buy it. We were young, and we had nothing, and I treasured it so much. But when I gave it to her, it wasn't wrapped in toilet paper. It wasn't even wrapped in an Ikea package. I don't know if you like Ikea, but uh, 
they don't do presentation very well. You don't get it like in a nice shiny box. It's not like a Tiffany's box or anything. You're like, you, you get to open it up to find the gold. When I gave the ring to Lena, it wasn't wrapped in toilet paper. I said, hey, babe, I didn't have a box. I just put it in toilet paper, but hey, don't worry, babe. Just open it up. It's the inside that counts. I pulled that thing out and, you know, toilet paper all scratched up, head in my pocket for like three weeks. Oh, I quit. Like, baby, open it up. You know, like, I wouldn't do that. We don't put treasures in toilet paper. You put a treasure in a nice box. You take precious things and you keep it in a safe. You keep it in a nice place. You have a, if you ever want something, you know, like a metal or something, you put it in a nice place. You put it inside like a glass box. You make it look nice and shiny. You put nice stuff in nice package. But God says he took the holy things. He took this treasure from heaven and he put it in jars of clay. He put it in people like us so that we should know that this power that we have, this love that we have, this forgiveness that we have, it is not by ourselves. It is not because we were good. It is not because we measured up. It's not because we were so holy and we were so much better than everybody else. It's not because any of that. There was nothing we could do to deserve it. But God, he chose to give his only son and he chose to send him to live in broken people like us so that we now can walk this earth and say, hey, look, I'm not perfect. You see my life, it's been through some stuff. But I gotta tell you something. Don't just look at the jar because the inside of the jar is filled with the treasure. It is called holy water. And the Bible says, he who drinks of it shall thirst never again. And that's what this world is looking for. And sometimes we fall into the game of believing that we got to work on our outside. I just had to take down a picture for my, for my Instagram this morning because my youngest daughter, my youngest daughter was in it. I got a text on the way here. It wasn't good morning, dad, praying for you. I'm with you, believing, you know, God will do great things. I woke up this morning. Take this picture down now. (laughs) Good morning, babe. (laughs) And because I didn't reply within 1.3 seconds, I got another one. And I mean now. I'll be like, honey, that phone you're texting from, I paid for that. Give it back now. It's actually my phone you're using there. She goes, it's my phone. No, you didn't pay for it. I paid for it. It's my phone. Hey, I didn't say that because, uh, you know, I'm a good dad. But uh, I might when I get home if she brings it up again. But the thing is, you know, like we put stuff out there. We put filters on it. We want to look good. And we got to make sure that we don't fool ourselves to think like the world thinks. That we fix things by putting filters on. And we take our jars, our lives, all the brokenness and all the pain and all the Challenges that it's been going through, and we think that we got to put a filter on it. See, the world, they build jars. The world care about the jar. The world is all about the jar, but we're all about the water. We're all about the life-giving water. Oh, you might look at this jar and say, hey, it's a little bit banged up. I'll tell you what, yeah, it is. And this jar has not much to offer you. But let me tell you, you take a sip of that living water that God has given me. You take a sip of that restoration, that power, the mercy that he gave me when I had nothing, when I was lost, when I was broken, when I couldn't find a way to take one step forward and God met me and he gave me his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy. He gave me purpose, a calling, a future, and a hope. I tell you, you take a sip of that. Don't worry about the jar. The jar is what it is. It's been through 
through some stuff because God said that he put this treasure in jars of clay, in broken jars with people like me. You might not know my name. I might not know your name, but you can be mightily used by God in the same way this man did. When Jesus said, walk down, you'll find a man carrying jar of water. Follow him. This man, man, I get so inspired. I want to be this man. I want to be used by God. Not described by my attributes. Not described by my name or my profile. Who cares? All that's going to die and wither away. But this man is in the Bible. We're preaching about him 2,000 years later. And all he did was carrying a jar of water. And when Jesus needed him, he signed up and he said, I'm willing. I'm available. I'm obedient. One day Jesus is taking a detour. I'm going to end with this. We're going to pray. He takes a detour to a well in Samaria. It was midday. Nobody goes to a well. Midday is too hot. It's like here, you know. But no AC. So Jesus, he takes a detour. He tells the disciples, yeah, you go ahead. I'm going to take a little toy. I got to do a thing here. And he walks into Samaria to this well. At midday, there's a woman there. The only reason she is there is because she didn't want to go in the morning. Everybody got their water in the morning when it was cool. It was too hot in the midday, but this woman was living with shame. She's just searching for things in her life and couldn't get it right. So she couldn't go in the morning because she was shamed by the other women and men in her community. That's why she had to go at midday when it's too hot so she wouldn't risk bumping into someone. And I love how, how loving Jesus, he, he walks up there in the midday. He opens the conversation. And he says, hey, by the way, you've had five men. And the ones you with now is not your man. Now, you can't say that this, imagine if I said that, I'd be like all over the news, you know, like, yeah, well, you know, I can't say stuff like that anymore. He says, you got five, five men. The one you have now is not your man. Now, Imagine telling that to a woman. How bad would she feel? Who, who does that? Why would you want to point that out? She's already living with shame, having to go midday to get water, not running the risk of bumping into someone else. But then he says, listen, if you ask me, I would give you water. Not this kind of water, but I would give you living water. And you will never thirst again. What he's saying is, I know you've been looking. I know you've been searching. I know you're thirsty. But where you've been trying to drink, it hasn't satisfied your soul so far. And you can keep trying to do more of the same stuff and it would only give you the same. But if you ask me, I will give you living water and you will never thirst again. That's what I love about this story. A man carrying a jar of water. We might be broken sometimes. We might be hurting sometimes, but we carry living water. When you step into your office tomorrow, when you step into your work, you're carrying living water. And you better believe there's people around you. All they want in life is a sip of that life-giving water. And we got it. So we cannot disqualify ourselves just because our jars doesn't look like we think they should. We're not Pharisees polishing the outside and try to hide the inside. My outside is not perfect. I want to become more like Christ. I want to be more like him. I want to be transformed into the image of Christ. Yes, I don't want to be myself. I want to be more Christ-like. But listen, while I'm being transformed, I can still serve him. I can still serve water. I can still carry water. Don't let condemnation, don't let guilt or doubt 
out or anything of that. Or the law put you down thinking you're not good enough. See, you don't have to be good enough because when we couldn't get to God, he came to us. He sent his son to us. He bridged the gap. He said, you're not good enough, but let me tell you who is. My son's good enough and he's going to come down and he's going to take your place. And when you believe in him, you will be right. We are righteous through faith in Christ Jesus, not in our own works or deeds or performances. That's why we boldly can say yes to God and say, God, use me. God, I'm here to serve. God, I'm here to bring water. God, I can be a life-giving well to someone else. While you heal me, God, I can still bring water. While you're working on me, God, I can still bring water. And some of you guys, you've been disqualifying yourself. You've been putting yourself aside thinking you're not good enough. And we can come to church and we can play church games. And all we do is condemn each other. We all look so good. Look at him, how good he worship. Well, it's not about that. You worship God. He's worthy. It's all good. But here's the thing. The thing is when you understand that what God puts inside of you, it was, it's what makes all the difference. It's his water. He gives it to you. Imagine if you walked out of this room today, thousands of people carrying living water. And people say, well, you're no special. I know my jar is just like yours. The difference is I got it filled with living water. I didn't deserve it. But he poured it into me. And not just into me, he poured it overflowing. So I got for you as well. I got this treasure in a jar of clay. So everybody should know that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from ourselves. We can live that life. We could be those people. A man or a woman carrying a jar of water, being mightily used by God. In Jesus' name, let us pray. Father, I thank you that you, you're willing to use us, Lord, each and every one of us, Lord, wherever we are, Lord. If we got saved last night or if we get saved this morning or if we've been saved for decades, Lord, I know you're not finished with us. You're still working on us, Lord, but you still want to use us, Lord. You still have purpose for us. You still have a calling for us. You still have an assignment for us, Lord. And in a world that is thirsty, that is overwhelmed with opinions, but starving and thirsting for the living water. Lord, let us be the ones who give people what they really need. Your love, your forgiveness, your redemption, Lord, your salvation, Lord. Living water will quench our thirst forever and give us hope and purpose. When every head bowed, every eyes closed, I want to pray a prayer. If you're in this room or maybe you're online, Maybe you're at our East Campus at, uh, at Tuscacito. Maybe you want to pray this, pray with me. Anywhere you are, if you hear my voice and you've never made a decision to surrender your life to Christ, to having your life filled with this water, this living water, for this amazing thing, His love, His forgiveness, His grace, this new life, this new hope. All He wants to do is just pour it into you. He'll never force himself on you. He never demands you to receive it, but he will stand at your heart, knocking at your heart, offering it again and again and again because you were not made or created to go through life on your own. Your own struggles and power, your own striving is not going to make it, but there's power and there's rest and there's forgiveness and there's water from God that will bring you all the way if you just receive it. If you never open your heart, if you never surrendered your life to Christ, if you never invited him into your life, 
I want to ask you to pray this prayer with me together with everybody else in this room, everybody at the Escocito, at, at Escocito campus and everyone online. Would you all repeat this prayer after me? Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that when I couldn't come to you, you came to me. Forgive me my sins. I surrender my life to you. Fill me, Lord, with your life-giving water. From this day on, I am yours and you are mine. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a big hand for everybody to pray that prayer? Come on, let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing one more song. Come on, let's praise him because he's a good God. He will take us as we are. And he will fill us up with his living water. Why don't we make a decision to walk out just in a few minutes into the next week, uh, being mindful that we carry his living water to a thirsty world in Jesus' name. Let's worship together. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.